Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Mischief Makers, your one-stop shop for all things mischief. Join your host, Dave Hearn, as he finds out what makes mischief, well, Mischief. Hello and welcome to Mischief Makers. I am Dave Han, and with me I have the multi-talented and all-round great guy, Mr. Michael Bodie. Hello, Bodie. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Yourself? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I've just I've just adjusted my gain a bit, um, oh, very good. so that I can, it's, it looks better. I'm looking at the waveforms here on the um, on ZenCast, and I'm going, hmm. I dislike the size of my <laughs> the size of my waveforms. <laughs> I'm not Your overcompensating. Waves. How are, how are my waveforms? They're pretty. <laughs> Your waveforms are very. Your waveforms are very good. Very healthy. Is that what you want? Smaller ones, or do you want bigger ones? Um, it depends, really. I'm just looking at, because um, I think Zencaster compresses the audio on this, uh, and I'm just uh, wanting to make sure that our listeners have the finest quality audio us mischiefers can provide. Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, that, well, that's something the, the listeners should know about you, is that, um, Mike Bird, I mean, would you say you are now like a professional voiceover artist? Um that is a thing I do. I would not say that that is my that I have now sort of stopped doing that. I I still uh, so I ended up getting into voiceover <clears throat> a couple of years ago, uh, primarily as I realized that I was I was a grown man and I was tired of working at places that were not acting related. I used to work as a janitor and a receptionist, and I worked as a chef. At one point, I got fired after... I got fired as a chef, but it was the only job I ever got fired from after two and a half weeks of working at this uh, steakhouse. Well, well, um, how did you get fired? Um, apparently, I was too slow, uh, and they okay. deemed running about swiftly to be too slow um, uh, at, at, the, at the place. I had to often get in there about two or three hours early to do prep and I wouldn't be paid for it because they said, oh, you will only pay you for one hour of prep. And it's like, well, that's not enough time to get everything done that you want me to do. And it's wow. like, well, you're just going to have to make that work. It's like, <laughs> you're not going to have burgers, mate. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's the long and short of it. Um, they got fi- ended up getting fired from that, which I was not, I was not to- uh, head up about. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, I wasn't head up about it. And, uh, uh, but I, I, eventually, I, I was, it was after bank, I was in uh, bank robbery in second cast that I saved up all of my money every week uh, just to have, because I thought, well, I don't want to be in a position where I, when I finish bank robbery, that if there's no work coming up, then I'm going to have to, uh, like, I'll be struggling to like, pay my rent and bills and stuff. So I ended up mm. saving up a bunch of money and I was doing voice, I was doing some voiceover training during bank robbery and I got a voice agent was doing a handful of jobs. Uh, and I ended up building a, uh, a studio at home to be able to produce work from home and to be able to do really high quality auditions. As is, as an example, in LA, it is quite common for voice actors to have full studio setups to be able to do really high quality auditions. The thinking being that if you remove the imagination on the casting director's end of what will this actor sound like on this project, when we bring them into a, a full recording studio, then the chances of getting the job are high 
attire. It's kind of like you going into an audition for a film and you're kind and you're in costume or you're you're wearing something that the character might wear. And then the casting director doesn't have to go, hmm, I wonder what they would look like if they wore a costume similar to the character, in which case you've already provided it. So that additional yeah. creative effort on their end is removed. Um, but I, I essentially I work in voiceover pretty much full time in between stage and screen work because my other alternative is to do a job that's not acting related. I could go work in an office. I could go back to working as a janitor. I could be work go work as a carpenter or a garbage man or a gardener and all, all the other jobs I did before doing doing jobs that were acting related full time. Um, that's that's my alternative. And I think if, if somebody said to you, it says, do you want to work on stage or do you want to work in something related to stage uh, or do you want to work in, I don't know, uh, to be uh, to be a, a delivery man? It's like, well, if I have the option of working on stage, of course, I'll work on stage. If the other two options are I can work as a delivery man or I can work as a uh, work, I don't know, as a stagehand or work as a on a writing team for uh, a tv show or i can work in voiceover you're probably going to pick the thing that's a bit more creatively inclined like absolutely no offense to anyone who works as a, a delivery driver but working as a delivery driver is not working in a creative field um, it's not what you want to do yeah it's not what you want to do um and i, I and I'm, I'm very fortunate that i found i've so far found a lot of success in voiceover uh and it's it's keeping me solvent uh, so I continue to put effort towards it, uh, and I do enjoy it, and I find it very creative, uh, and, I'll, and I'll be continuing to work in it and to expand client base and business stuff and whatnot. Um, but I think it's quite tunnel visioned for an actor to go, well, well, I only work in stage and screen, and that's all I'm going to do. And if I don't get work in that, well, I'll just wait for something to come along. And people will go, well, go make your own work. It's like, okay, great. But while you're making your own work, you still have to support yourself. So you're still in that position of, I have to support myself. I want to still work in stage and screen. Great. But you still have to support yourself. How can you do that? Yeah. And what I found is I've kind of combined the both of them is that I'm still able to be creative and I'm still able to act and perform whilst making money at the same time. Um, well, so to answer your uh, question, have really I become good. a full-time voiceover? <laughs> uh, I work in voiceover full-time, but... I still write down on my HMRC, what do you do as I am an actor? Very good. So that's a five-minute way of saying no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good because what, kind of, what you've done is you've jumped into the first section, which is called getting to know you. And uh, I feel like we're getting to know you professionally, which is very good. Um, oh, wonderful. But something I, uh, you, you've probably heard from the other um, – the other interviews that we've been doing is that because mm. I don't really have any jingles or anything, I've been getting everyone to improvise a quick jingle uh, for each section. So yeah. would you mind improvising us just a quick getting to know you jingle? Welcome back to this episode of Mischief Makers. On this episode, we speak with our hosts, Dave Hearn and Mischief founding member, Mike Bodie. This is the getting to know you section. Very good. And some of the more sort of eagle-eared listeners amongst you will notice that is the voice from the beginning <laughs> of the podcast, uh, Mr. Mike Bodie. Um, that was very good. Well, we're, we're already kind of off and away getting to know you. Um, and we'll get into the uh, mischief stuff in a bit. Um, but the first thing that people will probably notice about you that they don't notice about the, well, they do notice about the other uh, mischief guys is that you have an American accent. That is um, true. I um, I was born in the U.S. Uh, and I left when I was five. <laughs> I left when I was five, and I went to Germany. My parents went traveling in Europe in the eighties, and they met. They, they ran into a guy in Edinburgh who was American, and, and they asked him. and said, "Oh, so what are you doing over here?" And he says, "Oh, I live over here." And they said, well, "And he?" They asked him, "Well, how long have you lived here?" He said, well, "I've lived here for over thirty years." And they said, "But you're American. Why would you leave America?" And his response was, why would you stay? And so then that was when the penny dropped for them. They realized that, wait a minute, we've been told our entire lives that we have to stay in America. And America is the place to be. You want to be the best? Stay in the United States, which, as we all know, is nonsense. Um, and so they ended up, they decided that, uh, they said, well, let's, when we have kids, let's go live abroad somewhere for a couple of years just to give our kids exposure to things outside of the U.S. Because my parents didn't want my sister and I to be Jane and John Doe America. 
Um, they wanted us to be more cultured, have sort of a, 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 a wider global mindset, if you will. Um, <clears throat> and so the, we ended up moving over uh, to Germany. There was a branch of a company my dad was working for. And so he applied for a job over there. We moved over and we thought we were going to stay for two years in Germany. We ended up staying for about six and a half. Um, and so we, we immigrated over. We weren't expats or military or diplomat or anything or diplomats or anything. We just packed up and left. Um, and uh, oh, are you still there? My screen has decided to go to sleep. Good, you're still here. It's fine. Everything's yeah, fine. Oh, yeah, fine. Still alarm. <laughs> um, and so my uh, so we I ended up staying for about six and a half years. Uh, and at the time, we didn't know about international schools. And I was about five years old at the time. And so I ended up going to German primary school or kindergarten or uh, nursery, whatever, uh, whatever the, the UK equivalent is. I don't know because I didn't go to it. Um, <laughs> in Germany, they called it kindergarten or kindergarten. Um, <laughs> I couldn't it's tell you what he was when he said it in the German <laughs> accent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I ended up speaking, grew, I grew up speaking German more often than I did English. And so it, it got to the point where I learned to read and write in German before I did in English. And I would come home from kindergarten and I'd speak to my parents and I'd say, I am my clothes on pudding. I my room will clean. <laughs> no, mother, you wrong are. To which I'd be corrected. <laughs> I'm putting, you're putting your clothes on. You're cleaning your room. Don't talk to me that way. I'm your mother. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and because in German, they always put the verb at the end of the sentence largely. And so I would be directly translating from German into English, <coughs> excuse me, um, tr translating from German into English. And I had to go and have English lessons uh, and learn how to read and write in English because I never knew how to do it because uh, I was just doing it in German all day. Um, and then eventually we, we shifted to some international schools. And then when I was 12, I moved over to the UK and I went to school in Windsor uh, at Windsor's, uh, Windsor Castle School for boys and girls. Uh, and I was there for about six months and I didn't have the best time. Um, and then I went over to an American school uh, in Thorpe called TASIS, which is an acronym for the American School in Switzerland. But this was their English branch. So it was TASIS England. So um, an American school for Swiss people in England? No. So, so <laughs> close, but zero cigars. Um, so it... Uh, the original Tassis school was opened in Lugano in Switzerland, and it was it was known as the American school in Switzerland, and it was called Tassis. Uh, it was the, the pronunciation of its acronym. And so then they had another one in Athens, and then they had they opened up another one in the UK, uh, but it was the Tassis brand of school, if you will. So it was an American-style program that was simply based in uh, very different countries. Um, uh, well, obviously, when they did the branding for Switzerland, they didn't consider having an international, uh, having to go, they wouldn't call it TASI, the American school in England. Um, so they just kept the brand and then shifted it around to various uh, countries. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I went to the American school uh, in the UK near Thorpe. Actually, it was on the, it was right next to the, the grounds of Thorpe Park. So I would be working there as a groundskeeper oh, wow. in, um, at Tassis in the summer. And then there'd just be like, just, a, a, just kind of, just above the, the cusp of the trees would be like a roller coaster edge. And so once in a while you'd hear, ah, <laughs> of, um, <laughs> of, uh, of just like, get like, people during the summer enjoying their summertime and here i am getting hot and sweaty digging holes in the ground while there's people in roller coasters like like 100 meters the other side well I, i'm um, glad for that because i would say you know i know i know you quite well and i would say that you are naturally a very hard working person mm. and so i think that um yeah that maybe that's kind of where that attitude was was born whilst watching other people in thought park you were you know weeding yeah. <laughs> that is one of many things I did do as a groundskeeper. And, um, <laughs> and so, in your in your various um, various places that you kind of grew up, I hope you don't mind me sort of talking about this. But you yeah, did you have quite a serious accident when you were younger? Yes, uh, I was in a car accident when I was a kid. So uh, we were in Germany for a few months, and I was at the playground with my sister, and I was f five years old at the time, and uh, I decided to go home, and I'd done it numerous times before. I rode my bike maybe four or 500 meters down the, um, down the road to my house, uh, and I was coming around a blind corner, uh, and I ended up getting hit by a car that was going too fast. I didn't see it. He didn't see me. Um, and I ended up going over my, over my handlebars into the wind and my, and I, my head went into the windshield of the car 
uh, and I cracked the windshield of the car. And then I ended up, uh, somehow my bike got mangled and my handlebar stabbed me in the back. And then I, I was sort of tumbling on the, as the car slewed, slowed down, uh, I was sort of hovering, if you will, on the bonnet. And as the car stopped, I slid off the bonnet and the car was still moving. And then one of its wheels ran over my legs as well. Um, and so when I finally came to about a day and a half later, uh, I had um, <clears throat> uh, I had a broken collarbone, amnesia, concussion, uh, bruised kidney, and two of my teeth were missing. Uh, in the hospital, they had to uh, they stabilized me, and then they put a put my my uh, shoulder in a in a brace, and they said, "Well, go home now." My mom, who was a pediatric nurse, um, <clears throat> and uh, and, uh, and was a paramedic as well, and also works as an emergency medicine medical nurse. Um, she said, no, let's keep him overnight for observation. And we were living in a small town in Germany at the time, and it was a small, like, local hospital. Uh, so they weren't particularly well-equipped. Um, and so I ended up having a seizure during the night, and then the doctors gave me Valium. But I was five years old at the time, and so they gave me Valium for uh, – they injected me with Valium for a 20-year-old, which basically, wow. like, stopped my heart. Um, and so then they had to, like – yeah, they had, and then I stopped breathing as well, and so they had to intubate me, which is putting a tube down your throat into your, uh, where your lungs, I forget the exact name of it, it's where your lungs split into the two respective sides of the lungs. Um, I, wanted, I, I want to say it's a trachea, but I don't think that's correct. Um, well, answers on a postcard if you do know. Answers on a postcard if you do <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, and so the doctor ended up putting the tube all the way down to the bottom of one lung, and then we were my, the doctors and my mom were going, well, why isn't uh, his oxygen level going back up? And it's because the doctor stuck it all the way down to one lung, which is where it shouldn't have been. And they took an X-ray and then they adjusted it, and then um, and then and then I was starting to stabilize, and then they said, well, we need to take him to a, a bigger hospital. And the only way to do that was to airlift me to this hospital in Mannheim, uh, which is maybe about a half hour, 45 minute drive away. And so the doctor, when he's taking the tube out, he just yanks it out as opposed to taking it out the right way. And he knocks out two of my teeth. Um, oh, wow. And so my mom, who'd been on, uh, she'd been on, helic on medical airlifts before um, in, the, in, the, in the States uh, when she was working as a paramedic. Um, they, uh, she was going up to the helipad with me and then the paramedics had put an ambu bag, which is a big rubber ball to pump air into me. Uh, and my heart rate started to drop again. And then they re then she saw that the seal on the ambu bag was off and the paramedics didn't realize that the seal on the bag was off. So the air was going out the opposite end as opposed to going into me to save mm -hmm. me. So she ends up sticking her hand over the, um, the ambu bag to uh, put a seal on it and then start pumping away on the bag to get my heart rate back up and so then we end up going to the we get to the helipad um and then the the, the paramedics say no you can't come with us and she's like no i've done this before and she said well you're not you're not a german nurse you're an american nurse so you don't have the same qualifications that are recognized and so the i think they had to change the flight path of the helicopter to go near the, the autobahn which is like the m25 so that my parents could stick their head out the window and, and follow the helicopter while driving down the motorway because they didn't know how to get to Mannheim. The, and, the and the paramedics didn't speak any English and they didn't speak any German. Um, and so then we get to the hospital and then I stabilize and I, kindly, I finally wake up about, uh, about a day and a half later and I'm missing my two front teeth and I stick my tongue out. My, my dad's there at my bedside and I stick my two front teeth out and I, and I clock that, I, it, the day, that the night has passed and I'm missing teeth and I don't remember sticking my teeth under the pillow and I was gutted that the tooth fairy wasn't going to show up <laughs> because I didn't stick my teeth under the pillow. And I was like, oh, man, I missed the one chance I get. I got two teeth knocked out. I'll make an absolute fortune on these boys. And I didn't stick them under my pillow. Uh, oh, I'm gutted. And my dad was like, oh, well, we'll see what we can do. And then like <laughs> a half hour later, there's a 20 Deutschmark bill, which is like the equivalent of 20 quid. <laughs> like, And my dad goes, oh, oh, look, there's 20 quid here. Like, <laughs> it came. And granted, I'm five years old. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm buying a house and a yacht and a plane. It's more money than you've ever seen. Yeah. It's like uh, I was happy if I had two, two, two pennies in my, yeah. in my pocket. It's like, dad, I got two monies. Um, wow! Like so if your mum hadn't been there, yeah, I'd have you, been dead. yeah, on like several occasions. <laughs> yeah, I think on the first occasion would have would have been the clincher. I don't think there would have been the occasions thereafter. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. Well, that's so yeah. good that your mum was there. And did you ever yeah, meet yeah, the driver absolutely. of the car? I did. Yeah, um, he was seventeen, and he had gotten his driver's license oh. two weeks before. Oh wow! 
um, and he came by the house at one point and he gave me a little stuffed donkey and then some chocolate. Uh, and I, I took the donkey and I thought, oh, I have a new toy. But of all the animals I had, the donkey was the least. Uh, I, I enjoyed its company the least. <laughs> oh, a nice, a nice gesture. But, a a uh, lovely alas. gesture from the man. But <laughs> I had plenty of friendly penguins <laughs> to uh, wow. to enjoy the company of. And so, sorry, you might hear a banging. There's somebody outside my house putting some bins away. There you uh, go. So, you know, that's live theatre for you. Um and so did you were there any lasting effects from from that yeah so i got um so i i still have a my left shoulder still clicks to this day it's it's like a mild party trick it's like hey guys i was in this accident want to hear something want to feel something weird crunchy shoulder um i uh, uh when i was 15 i got diagnosed with adhd um and it was believed that the uh trauma from the uh, head impact of the car was uh, caused by that. Uh, these days, I believe it might, it, I, I, I simply might have just had it because I've, I just have it. Um, mm. But I've, but in, in, in either case, whether that was the cause of it or not, it's something, it's one of those things I got to deal with on a, on a sort of a regular basis about organizing myself and not being distracted and, um, and trying to, uh, trying to kind of better understand how that all works because I was in high, when I was in high school I was put on a bunch of medication for it uh, which was not the most pleasant experience um, yeah. and so I ended up stopped ta- I stopped taking it uh, and that, because there was a lot of side effects from taking the medication I spent a lot That's of That's a years. very American thing isn't it to, to um, sort of put those kids on various drugs Yeah it is partly because obviously in the states the <clears throat> pharmaceuticals cost an arm and a leg and the, and selling pharmaceuticals and pushing pharmaceuticals onto people who may or may not need it uh, is business uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, the medical institution in the states will say, "No, no, that's not the case." But there's enough evidence to kind of go, uh, "All right, well, I think uh, you don't need to charge like thirty quid for like an inhaler, which over here would cost like seven quid mm-hmm. um, for it." Uh, sorry, one second, my screen is going to sleep. Okay, great. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was, I was when I was about fifteen, I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, which is the the kind of the the main classification for a number of different sort of subclassifications. So ADHD is known as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and it's often uh, archetypally associated with young rambunctious kids who are quite physically hyperactive. But uh, that is that is a classification within that. But then there's also people who are uh, mentally hyperactive um, and who can't and who sort of fidget and can't sit still like i right. still catch myself like my with my leg bouncing or hand tapping or something and i'm just not conscious of it until i go oh why is the table moving oh it's right it's because i've been bouncing my leg for an <laughs> hour and i haven't noticed um but yeah i was put on a bunch of medication in high school uh and which pretty much ruined high school because of all the, the really unpleasant side effects a lot of triggered a lot of uh depression anxiety um and uh sort of uh, like mild hallucination and this kind of stuff. And I, I took them for a couple of years and eventually I stopped. Uh, but I w- it was in that kind of formative period in my teenage years where I had to, where I believed that the side effects were kind of core parts of myself. And so I spent a number of years learning to undo those, um, those thought process and those thought patterns, which uh, it was around the same time I was applying for drama school as well. So I'm suddenly, because uh, I came from, essentially my background was from a very sheltered suburban I'd say sheltered because, like, uh, it, I, I, that's that's kind of what it was, um, and uh, I wasn't really exposed to anything in the big city or anything like p- kids in my year who went to Camden and maybe like got a burger and a and a Pepsi. They were like, "Oh yeah, these guys are hardcore," uh, because mm. they were going. They were like, "Oh guys, we're in Camden. Yeah, we're a bunch of badasses." And it's like, yeah. you're you're going to like the Asian food place and getting <laughs> and getting a Sprite. Like and you're just like around Camden, and suddenly yeah. you have this you have this thing about you where, yeah, we went to Camden and we were there. It's like, wow, you were in Camden, yeah, in Camden. <laughs> <laughs> um, and granted, anybody who knows Camden will know that it has uh, a reputation. Has parts of it have a reputation for being quite seedy, and other parts for being quite sort of hipster and cool and very wholesome and whatnot but this was also before a lot a lot of it was rebuilt so it was still it was very seedy at the time Mm. like 20 years ago for the cool kids Um, yeah for all the cool kids um but uh, i've lost my train of thought what was i can't remember gotta get that train ticket for that train of thought um 
There it is. There's some there ADHD could kicking in right, right now in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So as far yeah, as side you said effect, you had, you'd stop taking the medication. Yeah, yeah. So I stopped taking it, um, and uh, which which was good because I didn't have the side effects. And so then recently, I've um, <clears throat> uh, I've been investigating. Um, it a bit more because I spent a lot of years sort of denying that I had it, but I realized that a lot of my um, patterns of behavior uh, are quite uh, a, a uh, uh, so I've, I've recently met someone and they, uh, uh, who was very lovely, and they mm-hmm. introduced me to a YouTube channel called ADHD Girl. Uh, and it's about this woman in the States who talks about her experiences with ADHD. And having watched a lot of the videos, um, and uh, it, a lot of the stuff she talks about is very similar to myself, and I think in a very similar way. And it was quite revealing. Uh, and um, and uh, this person who I met was she was sort of say like, "Has this is this like a, a big thing for you?" And I said, "Yeah." Like I, I always deny, after I stopped taking the medication, I denied that I had it at all uh, because I thought because I never really got any any support for it. But now that I'm an adult. I realize I still have it. Uh, so things like trying to maintain focus for long periods of time or like getting bored with stuff easily or being easily distracted or like I'll be paying attention to something and then something will distract me and then I'll just go off and pay attention to it and I'll, and I'll completely forget that it's like, oh, wait, someone was talking to me still mm-hmm. um, in that regard. Uh, so this. So what's, uh, what's the difference between sort of that kind of behavior and just, I guess, just like a regular teenager? Um, I think the... Uh, I think the idea of ADHD has been, it's easy for somebody to go, with somebody who has it and they don't know they have it, to go, you're lazy, you're undisciplined, you lack focus, you are stupid because you can't operate in, a, in the same way that someone who's neurotypical does. And a lot of the mm-hmm. things in the world and a lot of like self-help books and a lot of things they write in various magazines and Men's Health, Cosmopolitan, Vogue, whatever, when this says, let's talk about mental health. Uh, a lot of it is valid, but on a very kind of superficial baseline level. And a lot of it is geared towards people who, to kind of the people who operate in what's known as a neurotypical kind of level, who are, who display the, the typical characteristics of, uh, of the, of an average person. Uh, and anything that deviates from that in any way, it's easy for people to go, well, you're just a bit thick or mm. you, you lack the ability to maintain focus. You're lazy, you're undisciplined. And these are all things that we obviously hold the idea of somebody who is, who is hardworking and proactive and somebody who is, who is disciplined and somebody who's able to focus for long periods of time. We hold those elements in high esteem. And if you are an individual who lacks those in any way, it's easy for somebody to go, you lack these things, therefore you are inferior to myself. And generally the person who brings attention to those things probably has an issue with themselves and may and is making themselves feel better uh, at the expense mm-hmm. of somebody else without taking into account how those words and actions make somebody else feel. It's mm-hmm. easy for like, it's like it's easy for me to, to look at another actor, for example, and see their career and go, well, you have that career because you have these really great connections. And those connections happened because your family is well connected. That's an element that you didn't have control over. That's something you were born with. And it's easy for me to disregard my own lack of effort or my own lack of, uh, of proactivity uh, by comparing myself to somebody else and going, you have these things which I don't and you, didn't, you don't deserve them because you didn't work towards them. Um, sure. Or it's easier for me to justify my actions uh, in, a, in a certain regard because of things I've done. Say, I've done this, you haven't, therefore I am superior in some way. And, it, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. but it's just a way of me making myself feel better or, or somebody else making themselves feel superior to somebody in some way. Um, but as far as, uh, the, how it differentiates from somebody being a quote unquote average teenager, I mean, granted, like any teenager can, uh, teenagers are generally fickle creatures, um, mm. and, uh, hormonally driven and can be quite emotional as they start to become exposed to the, their spectrum of emotional experiences and, and physical experiences and their bodies and stuff start changing. They're not really sure what's going on and they do it at different levels and at different times. And there's no real one kind of set way of doing it because all these changes are happening. Teenagers tend to be, um, tend to be quite sort of volatile creatures and are looking for some form of stability. Um, and so then it's in, in as regard of going to, is this just like some teenagers? Like, well, it can be some teenagers do have it and they might behave that way. Um, 
but it uh, it's something that I'm still sort of continuing to investigate and trying to look at strategies to help uh, manage uh, organiz- my own organization and work stuff and to uh, to be able to, to become aware of how my emotions are uh, forming or reacting to certain things based on how based on kind of how my brain is is wired, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah that makes sense. Like, for example, there's a thing called um, uh, there's a thing called object permanence, which has to do. So people with ADHD um, uh, and other neurological uh, disorders have a difficulty with something called object permanence, which is uh, so, for example, if something is if the sky is blue, uh, this is a very sort of broad stroke course example. If the mm. sky is blue, the sky will always be blue. And anytime it is not blue, then that makes me really upset because the sky is blue and it should always be blue. It should never be anything other than it. Uh, and if it changes, well, that makes me really upset and really angry. As opposed to having that me- a mental flexibility to go, the sky isn't blue today and that's okay. It's great sure. because it's overcast or there are clouds. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, but with people who, who struggle with object permanence, it's a belief that a thing will always be the way it is. And any deviance from that causes stress of some kind. Um, and granted, like you could you could argue, well, you know, things change in life and you have to adapt. Yeah, that's true. And people do adapt. Mm-hmm. People with ADHD, the reaction tends to be much more extreme. Uh, mm-hmm. This is from my understanding. I, I could be getting this. Uh, wrong from what the medical literature uh, says. Um, but the reaction tends to be a bit more extreme in that regard. And that's a reaction typical of individuals who, who have it. Um, I suppose that applies to things that aren't um, objects as well. If you've, if you've kind of got a sense of how you think someone should behave or someone should react to something yeah. that you say, or, you know, you, you, you have some kind of structure and security. And if, if somebody's behavior deviates from that, I imagine that can be quite stressing for someone. Yeah, and it's and that's um, and that's one of the primary places that uh, that people with ADHD struggle with object permanence is when when someone's reaction is different to how they expected it to be, because of one thing or the other. Um, and as whereas somebody who's who, who is neurotypical would go, oh, they're they're having a bad day. That's fine. I'll let them mm-hmm. be. Uh, someone with ADHD might suddenly then go. Well, I've clearly done something in order to cause this to happen, or the other person go, or they might go. There's something wrong with them. There can't be something wrong with me, and it can, tends to go one of two ways: either belief that the that the the personal individual has caused something, or the other person is at fault for something because of a difference of uh, behavior uh, in that way. Uh, sure. And object and the, the the challenge with object permanence and people with ADHD often happens in interpersonal relationships. Um, in in that regard, that someone reacts in a way you didn't expect, or they react a, di- a different way because of what's going on for the other person, and it's difficult to uh, to acknowledge and accept the circumstances uh, of the other person as being entirely independent from you as the individual. That um, makes a lot of sense. And actually, I was going to ask if you, because I've, I've got some questions here about your uh, more outdoor adventures. Sure. Um, but to kind of link those two to the, the ADHD, is that one of the reasons why you sort of pursued doing more kind of um, things involved in nature? Did you find it quite calming? Um, I liked the idea of, I liked practicality. I like to be. I like things that are quite pragmatic and hands-on. And I've always been a very hands-on learning kind of person. I have a need to understand how things work. The idea of something being hidden from me, or like, so for example, when I watch a magic show, I I, I I'm not. I'll be impressed if. Uh, like there are, I, I, I'll say to myself, like, there is a way to make this work. This is an illusion. It is not genuine quote unquote magic. Mm-hmm. Like they have not sort of dematerialized themselves and then rematerialized somewhere else. It's no, there's a trap door back there. They've gone under the stairs or they've hidden themselves in some way, or there's a false panel. Um, and so I find, um, like if I watch a magic show, I'll go, that's a very good trick. But at no point do I believe, oh, g- goodness, that's genuine magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I always love I love like the Penn and Teller stuff when they when they when they talk about how the tricks work or when a magic trick of any kind is revealed. Yeah. You know, this is how it works. Or I'll get like the small magic like toys that they used to have at uh, at Harrods uh, years ago. And I'm sure they still do. And I'll look at it and I'll get it and I'll go, oh, so that's how they make the coins disappear. Um, mm-hmm. And so then suddenly, like, I'll be really fascinated by that. And I'll go, well, I know how it works now. The magic is literally gone. Um <laughs> 
But as far as things outdoorsy, like I've always been quite pragmatic and I've always liked the idea of self-sufficiency and being able to like look at a tree and go, I will make a house from this tree and then I will have a house. Um, <laughs> or, um, yeah, and I, and I, I like the elements of the physical exertion. I like the, the physical challenge. I like, I, I enjoyed hiking. I enjoy hiking a lot, be particularly like when you go camping, hiking, when you're having to like carry your, your life with you for several days. Um, uh, traveling, uh, going somewhere. Uh, That's my worst like, nightmare you've just described. Really? Yeah, I can't. I can't be doing that. I can't be. You know, I like a hotel. What can I say? Yeah, you basically luxury. Walking, <laughs> you basically walk around the hotel. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that one time in Edinburgh during the Fringe when you we were at. Uh, I think it's the, the restaurant under the stairs, and you were in a three piece uh, suit. And yes. you said to me, it says, Boats, could you carry me up Arthur's seat? Um, and I sort of oh, thought yeah. for a moment. I thought, yes, yes, I could carry you up Arthur's seat. And then, I, and so we kind of mulled there it is, over and thought, yeah, we'll do I it think later. there is time for this as a, oh, as yeah. a brief narrative, certainly. Because I think, because yeah. wasn't it that we, we traditionally went up Arthur's seat after the end of every fringe? And I said that I couldn't be asked with it because, you know, I was in a three piece. And I said, look, it, it always seems like a good idea at the time. We, you, you, have to, you have to walk like, you know, an hour to get there. Then it's like really long time up. Then you've got to come all the way back down. I think yeah. I said, the only way I'll do it is if you carry me up. And I said it, it was a joke. But I, I think you then sort of was like, no, I, th I can do it. Yeah, it was because you were talking about it. And then I think you, I, I was sat opposite you at the table. And then you said, Boats, could you carry me up out of the seat? And I went. Yeah, yeah, I think I could. Uh, and, I, and, we, and at the time, we thought, "Oh, what a joke, lads!" Um, and then, like, we finished our drinks, and we were like, "Dave, do you want me to carry you up out the seat?" <laughs> yeah, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, like, yeah. it happened. It happened. Mike Bowie carried me on his back from ground level up to the very peak of Arthur's seat. And we've got—I've got a photo of it somewhere. Yeah. It was it was the least amount of effort you did to gain that much altitude. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was amazing. Yeah, and it uh, and and at no, I was the my the proudest part of that for me was that at no point did I ever put you down. If I had to stop for a rest, you just kind of like laid draped across my back while I yeah. just took a breather. Well, I tried um, to make you stop. I remember, and you and you insisted. You were like, "No, I keep going," and it was yeah. very impressive. I think uh, we had. Um, we had Mr. McLennan with us at the time, uh, yes, and I yeah. think, and he was like, he was like, "No boats, I don't think you can carry Dave up to Arthur's seat." Um, and yeah, uh, and it should be said that my friend Callum is is, is also a soldier, uh, so he's uh, yeah, he, he, was, Corporal he was McLennan pretty well is, uh, is, a, is a veteran of, of the British Army uh, who has seen numerous deployments in various very dangerous uh, parts of the world, uh, and is a very is a is a very tough and hard man. Um, and uh, and at the, the the one of my favorite things was at the end. Corporal McLennan gave me a handshake and says, "Boats, that was impressive." I'm like, oh, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's um, what you need. Sweet, did it for. Yeah. There's a great photo of me just being utterly exhausted, just like sitting on my backside, and then you with like your hands on your hips, <laughs> like laughing in the air. Yeah, I'm um, having a great time. Yeah, um, and uh, and I'm just like completely knackered, and you're just like laughing your head off in your three-piece suit at, at sunrise on the peak of Arthur's seat. <laughs> um, yeah, that was crazy. Having that's uh, what having you do when you're a bit you younger. What's that? It's what you do when you're, you know, when you're younger. You kind of bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. You can do those sorts of things. Now I'd be like, nah, boats. We'll just, we'll just get a cab or something. <laughs> we'll get an Uber up there. We'll get an Uber. We'll get a horse. There. I'll do it. Um, so I've got actually just while we're on the outdoors, because uh, I might have to, because we've been chatting for a little while now, we might have to skip a section, but that's okay. But I've got one more question. Oh, what, what's, the the, what's the section? I'll be quick about it. Well, it's questions from the web. Oh, let's um, do questions from the web. Okay, we'll do quick. Before. Actually, I've got one more question from outdoors. Were you? Ever, is it true that you were tracked once by a mountain lion? Um, I was stalked by two mountain lions. Right. Um, we. I was in New Mexico on a on a hike one time, and we get to our camp, and it was we 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 got. Uh, for some reason, I think we had to stop somewhere early in the day because it was a thunderstorm, um, and we couldn't go walking in, in the in the area because we were there was risk of being struck by lightning. We didn't want that, mm -hmm. um, so we had to stop for a while. And um, 
and so we uh, we get to camp late, and it's dark out, and mountain lions uh, hunt between dusk and dawn because of the lighting conditions, uh, and that they can see better at those times than other animals can. Uh, I believe I could be incorrect, mm. um, but that's when they do most of their hunting, um, and so we could hear that we could hear two two sound sources around our camp that were moving that was moving in a circle. Uh, and occasionally we'd hear like some rocks tumble down from like a cliff or like a branch break or something, um, or like a, a rustle in a bush. And we were pretty sure what's that? That is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And so, and our, um, and our lights, our headlights, headlamps weren't powerful enough to kind of like shine a spotlight on them, um, or anything, but we were, we were, we were absolutely certain that's like, yes, this is a mountain lion because if it was anything else, it would have left by now. If it was a deer or something, it would have just like run off. <clears throat> and so we were, because these two sources kept kind of circling, we could hear them moving at the same distance of where, of where they were previously. And then we'd be like, well, now it's over here. And then this other one's over there. And then now, now it's over here. And then there, and there, and there. We thought this, th these are mountain lions and they are circling us. Uh, but there were seven of us at the time um, in this group. And so I was initially terrified. I'm like, guys, there's mountain lions circling us. And they're like, yeah, and? Um, because the other, the other guys in my, in my crew had been, they grew up in parts of the States where like bears and mountain lions and wolverines and rattlesnakes was like a part of life. It's like, if there's a bear in the backyard, don't go outside until it leaves. Mm. Um, and, but whereas for me, it's like, Oh God, goodness, a bear. Ah. And then after a, a, a week or so out in the, in the wilderness in New Mexico, then it's eventually like, eh, it's a bear, whatever. And you kind of just get over it. Um, wow. Desensitized to the bear. Yeah, you kind of get desensitized to the wildlife. It's like, meh, wildlife, don't bother it. Well, that's very um, good. Yeah. Well, i tell you what, let's, I'm going to rather clunkily now move us on into questions from the web. Um, Go for it. So uh, these are some questions that have come in from some people on Twitter. Um, however, can you just give us a quick questions from the web jingle? Yeah, one second, hang on. And coming up next is the questions from the web. Questions received from Twitter on various Twitter accounts. And here we go. Nice. Very nice. Uh, so this first question is from uh, from Bethany. She says, mm -hmm. do you think the way that Mischief have uh, made our shows has changed over the years? And uh, did you ever think that Mischief would get where it has gone to today? Um, to be honest, I don't think any of us knew that it would be we'd be in the position where we are today. And as far as shows go, like um, we, our first show was Lights, Camera, Improvise. Actually, no, our first show was Let's Let's See What Happens, which ran for two mm. weeks, then which we swiftly put to bed at the end of the first Edinburgh, and then we worked <laughs> on uh, Lights, Camera, Improvise for a while, which later became Mischief Movie Night, um, <clears throat> and then we had a late night impro fight as well. Uh, and so we largely did impro stuff for a while, and it wasn't until the the boys wrote. Play that goes wrong, or sorry, um, the murder at Christmas. Is it murder at Christmas? Murder before Christmas. Yeah, murder yeah. before Christmas. Um, that that that's that's when things kind of took off. So as far as like from where we started to where we are, I'd say yeah, things have changed largely. That we're not doing impro in that respect. Um, but I think the uh, I think the the uh, the comedy itself has kind of. Uh, has grown up, has sort of developed and matured over time with experience and and trial and error and stuff. So going from impro to scripted, vast change. Like we now have a script we can work with. Um, but then as far as going from play that goes wrong into things like the goes wrong show and other and other projects, uh, I'd say that it's just a case of uh, just becoming more tuned and, and better honed at what jokes work, where to put them, uh, the, the, the kind of how far you can go with a joke, um, the things you can do with it, um, and just a cumulative experience of things that work and that things that aren't as effective uh, in that mm. regard. That's that's what I would say. That's how it's changed. And um, this is a different Bethany. This is Bethany Campbell. Uh, she asks, uh, what is the best experience you've had through being a member of Mischief? I think going up to the Fringe, because I didn't know the Fringe existed until somebody on our foundation course at Lambda said, yeah, there's a thing in Edinburgh called the Edinburgh Fringe. It's where all these shows for theater and stuff go up every year. So I thought, oh, okay, cool. Um, because if we hadn't, if I hadn't, if we hadn't have gone up to um, uh, the fringe with uh, let's see what happens years ago, I wouldn't have known mm. about the fringe, and because the fringe became like that, like the the come the 
the peak of my year of a year was going to the fringe for a month and seeing shows and doing shows and being up in Edinburgh and that kind of stuff. Um, and it, uh, and yeah, so I'd say for me so far as being able to go to the fringe, uh, and to be able to say that, uh, I'm a part of mischief in and of itself. Those are the two things for me, actually, that are kind of the best experience with mischief so far. No singular kind of like, Hey, this one time at band camp kind of yeah. uh, moment or anything. <laughs> I should say as well that um, some people may not know this, but you are a founding member of Mischief. You were there yeah, from, from the bitter beginning. Yeah, you and I and uh, and, a, and a handful of others are um, some of the original founding uh, members of Mischief. So if you can't get rid of us, we're like old barnacles. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Daisy asks, uh, if you were to be arrested, what, would, what do you think it would be for? Um, on accident. I think I would probably be arrested <laughs> just accidentally. Like somebody would say, sir, we've arrested this man at the scene of the crimes. And, oh, is it, is it Mike Bodie? He said, yes, he's innocent. Let him go. Like, ah, sorry, Mr. Let him out immediately. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, not at all. Please, I'm happy to oblige. <laughs> what do you think I would be arrested for? Um, uh, you would probably uh, have mullered, mullered a bunch of nasty men in a bar. And then somebody was said, somebody would probably say, Dave started it. And then like CCTV footage would say, no, no, Dave defended himself. He's innocent. And then again, they'd go, whoop, we've arrested the wrong person. Very good. Very good. <laughs> very that. specific. Very, very well answered. I think of all, of, uh, <laughs> all of your tales of like, oh, damn it, I've gotten to a fight again and I had to, and I had to win again. Um, to run away, yes, again. Yeah, they'll just be like, well, this man clearly defended himself. He's yeah, innocent. Just, <laughs> just a hot-headed young man <laughs> hiding under the bar. Um, okay, so that, that brings us to the end of uh, questions from the web. Um, and we're just going to move into the quick fire section. So can yes. you give us a quick fire jingle? Quick fire jingle. Very good. Very good. Now, it's I'm not my this... finest work. <laughs> it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. There was less prep this time. Yeah. But I thought it was good. Um, so I'm going to do this slightly differently. So usually what I do is ask people lots of questions really quickly and just try and get answers as quick as possible. But what I'm going to do for you is bam, 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 quick fire voiceover. So I'm going to give you um, a bunch of different characters and I want you just to improvise a different voice for them. You can say anything, any like sort of one line. It doesn't have to be anything too long. And, sure. uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll give you the character. You just got to do it as fast as possible. Does that make sense? Yes. Great. Okay. So your first character is a concerned medieval villager. Oh, sorry, my lord. <laughs> uh, your next character is a smooth southern gent. Well, howdy there, good looking. Uh, this, yeah, this is great. Okay, um, an AI robot butler. Would you like ice with your 14th drink, sir? Nice. A panicked cowboy. Oh, God, tootin' can't find my damn cow! <laughs> And um, an angry toad king. I have had enough of this. Oh, that was very good. And finally, Billy, the happy dog. Oh, 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 are we going for walkies? Going for walkies? Oh, are we going for walkies? Wow, that the speed at which you did those was very impressive. Well done. <laughs> yeah. You see, it, uh, this was the quick fire round, yes? I, yeah, I thought it was no, the, a slow burn circle. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the panic cowboy. That was such genuine panic. <laughs> that was very, very good. Um, well, I'm afraid that's kind of all we've got time for, really. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. I've been Dave Thank you for having me, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Bodie. Thank um, you, Mr. Hearn. If you want to find out some more about Bodie's, uh, Bodie's voices, I believe you have a website, mikebodie.net. I do. It, it is. Crazy enough, mikebodie.net. <laughs> yeah, and Bodie spells in, is, like, body. Uh, body? Bo body. Uh, bodies with, bodies without the S, so B-O-D-I-E. Uh, the the website is in, is in dire need of updating. It is a little bit old. <laughs> Well, we'll, um, um, we'll try and but, uh, see if we can like, embed a link or something. I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> um, so, actually, I'm going to have you sign off on this, Bodes. So, can you say thanks very much for listening and keep on making mischief? 
Thanks very much for listening. Keep on making mischief. Nice. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.